Greetings, traveler. Welcome aboard the crime machine. My name is Victoria, and I will be your pilot for today's mission. We're going. Yay. <laughs> I have an intro. I don't need to do the whole beginning part. Okay. <laughs> um, but hi, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, this is another guest. It's two weeks in a row I've had a guest on, which is a rarity because I like to do stuff in between. But this is a very special one, and it's a spooky one, too, because usually when I have a guest on, I don't. I tell the story, and then they just react. But our guest today has all the information, so we're just going to let her do the talking. <laughs> so introduce yourself. Tell us Hi, about <laughs> my name is Jill Witecki. I'm the director of marketing at Tampa's historic movie palace, the Tampa Theater. Um, and yes, that is a huge part of my job is telling the stories, not only of the theater in general and our 95 year history, but specifically of the theater's ghosts. We love it. We love, it. and it's almost Halloween, so this is fitting. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually what I'm doing this week. Uh, most of the week is getting our A Nightmare on Franklin Street series announced and on sale. Sick, and we'll talk about that very soon because I know there's a lot of people that listen to this who are in Tampa who can come to that. So <laughs> that'll be great. Um, so yeah, I guess we should just kick it off with like some history of the theater, if you wouldn't mind. <laughs> of course, not. I don't mind at all. We have been here on Franklin Street uh, projecting movies since October 15th, 1926. So we are coming up very quickly on our 95th anniversary. Uh, and we have been a movie palace that whole time. We have, have been continuously operating for 95 years, certainly through some ups and downs uh, in the film industry and in Tampa and, and otherwise. But overall, uh, we, we have been showing the movies day in and day out for almost a century. Now, when we opened in 1926, we were actually a silent movie house. Uh, we didn't get our first talkie for about three years. And so those original films were um, accompanied by a live orchestra. We also had a mighty Wurlitzer theater organ that is still here in the theater and still figures very prominently into our screenings and into our programming. Um, but uh, those those early days, we were part of the vaudeville circuit as well. So when you would come and see a film at Tampa Theater. You would uh, get your trailers, you would get your newsreels, sometimes a short cartoon or serial. The feature film, but incorporated there somewhere, usually was also a short vaudeville performance. And I mention that only because it figures very prominently into one of our ghost stories. But over the years, um, you know, we, we saw the transition to talkies in the late 20s. Um, we saw what World War II did to downtown centers and the growth of the suburbs in the 1940s. Uh, we saw what some big changes to the movie industry in the late 40s did when basically the studios were told that they couldn't own the theaters anymore. And all of a sudden, going into the 50s, uh, we had to turn a profit for the first time, uh, just like movie theaters across the country. So going into the 1950s, um, in America, you saw a lot of movie theaters, movie palaces closed and demolished um, because they didn't have that studio support anymore. So we were very fortunate to survive that. Um, we survived the 60s. 
Um, come the 70s, though, it was starting to get a little bit rough. Uh, the owners of the theater knew that it was a losing proposition and actually went to the city of Tampa in hopes that the city would rescue the building, would purchase it and preserve it and uh, keep it going. And it was a long battle. It was a three-year conversation before the city finally decided that uh, that was a good investment um, and, and that the theater could actually serve as kind of a symbol that uh, the city wasn't giving up on its downtown core, that you know there wasn't much to brag about in downtown Tampa along that time period. And so the mayor at the time, Bill Poe, uh, saw the theater as an opportunity to let Tampa know and let the downtown um, businesses and residents know that that they were serious about making sure downtown remained strong. So uh, ever since then, ever since the early 70s, we have been owned by the city of Tampa and operated uh, as a nonprofit arts organization. All these, these years later, we still are um, owned by the city and doing our best to fill Tampa Theater with uh, as much amazing curated content, be it films, speakers, um, authors, live shows, special events, education programs, tours, um, and of course this time of year as much uh, Halloween type fair as we possibly can. It's it's like for people who've never been here, it's super cool. I would love to live in this theater. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're not the first person that has said that. There is some amazing positive energy here that really just draws people and nobody ever has kind of a, a meh um, reaction to the building. Um, you either love it or you really love it. And that's, those are really the only two options once you see it for yourself. Sick. So I guess we should get into like the ghosty stuff. So <laughs> I told her, cause like there's ghost tours, which I will be coming back and taking one of those. I'm going to bribe my family into going to one of the ghost tours. Mm -hmm. But so we're not going to say everything because we still want you to come and experience <laughs> the magic. But we'll talk about some of the ghosty ghosties. Sure. So well, whichever yes. one you want to dive into first, who's your favorite? Well, you're right. There's <laughs> there's no way that I could possibly do justice to the tour um, just in audio, as much as I love telling these stories, you really need to see the location. You need to be in the space to understand um, just how much history is here and just how uh, much a part of that history these stories are. Because most of the ghosts that we talk about on the tour are former employees of the theater. Um, these are people that, that we know. We know their names. We know when they worked here. We know what they were all about. Um, and we have all kinds of reasons to believe that even after their death, they have continued to come to work here. Um, so there's there's more famous ones. Uh, if you Google Tampa Theater Ghost, you'll probably come up with Fink Finley. Uh, who was our projectionist from 1930 to 1965. And there are all kinds of stories about Fink, and we can certainly tell some of them today. Um, but he's actually not my favorite ghost. <laughs> oh, snap. If he hears this, I know, well, don't come after us, please. <laughs> <laughs> and it just so happens, um, to, to paint the picture for the listeners, that the seat that you are sitting in uh, is a seat from the theater. It was uh, installed, it was a replacement of our original seats. And so that seat went into the theater in the 1970s and uh, came back out when we did our reseating in 2018. But the seat you're sitting in is seat 308. 
that came from the uh, the wide row, the J row, uh, down in our auditorium. And that, too, is one of the ghost stories uh, that we tell. So you picked a fortuitous seat when you sat down I in my office. I love how she didn't tell me this. Like, I'm going to go home possessed, and it's going to be Jill's fault. <laughs> Well, I will say to that effect, um, two things. One, uh, people ask me all the time if I have activity in my office because the seat is here. And I really never have. I, I honestly think uh, that the gentleman who inhabits seat 308 um, likes the new seat 308. We gave him a much more comfortable seat when we reseated. And just as a side note, I, I love working for this organization for so many reasons. But a great illustrative story of why is um, when we were doing the reseating and when we had the architects here and they were drawing the new seating plots because we were increasing the legroom. So we lost some seats and they had to sketch all that out. And as we were talking through this uh, during one of the meetings, they explained or they made uh, reference to the fact that typically in a theater, the sections are numbered in the order that you encounter them. So as you walk into a theater, typically you're going to come to section 100 first, then 200, then 300, and however many there are. We have three sections. In Tampa Theater, it's reversed. So when you walk into the auditorium, you actually come to section 300 first, and then they count down from there. So during this seating uh, discussion with the architects, they said, you know, as long as we're reseating and we're taking all the seats out, we could go ahead and renumber the sections and we could finally fix what has been wrong all these years and, and flop the seat numbers and the seat sections. And before I could even say anything, our CEO said, no, we can't do that because the ghost sits in 308. And the architects kind of <laughs> looked at us like we were crazy. And we had to explain the story and, and the, uh, the um, reason that 308 was important to us. And they just kind of shrugged and said, okay, you know, whatever you want. <laughs> but when you go into the theater now and you start looking at the new seats, if you go to seat 308 on that wide aisle in section 300, uh, you'll see a seat plaque on the back of the chair that says reserved for the man in the fedora. So not only did we give him his new seat 308, but we made sure that everybody knew that that is his seat. Uh, and we... we tend to think that he likes it down there because he seems to be leaving the old uh, 1970 <laughs> seat in my office alone. <laughs> but my favorite of the ghosts here at Tampa Theater, um, because of how he let us know that he was here, uh, is the ghost that haunts the lobby overlook. So as you walk into our lobby, um, it's a huge, grand lobby, two stories tall. Uh, and toward the back of the lobby, there's a railing, kind of a little balcony there in the lobby with two big staircases going up to it. And up on that lobby is our manager's office. So the, the theater manager, the front of house manager who kind of oversees all our ticket takers, all of our concessionaires, all of, all of the front of house op, uh, activity, his office is up there. Um, still is, and it's still used as an office. Our front of house manager, Derek, uses it as his office now. Um, but for years, long before Derek was here, long before I was here, there have been stories about that office and specifically about people hearing things happening up at that office door when they're down in the lobby. So over the years, um, the, as the story goes, um, people have heard the jingling of keys 
like somebody is looking for the right key to fit into the lock at the top of the stairs. And according to the story, um, anybody who tries to go upstairs and see who it is or calls out and, you know, hey, is anybody up there? The jingling stops. So when I got here uh, about nine years ago now uh, and, and took over uh, the marketing role at Tampa Theater, I took over for a woman named Tara who had been the marketing director here for years. I think she was here more than 20 years. Um, but she was the one who used to give the ghost tours. She had kind of developed all of these stories and put them together. And so as I started telling the stories and giving the ghost tours back in those early days, um, I was telling Tara's stories. And the story that she would tell about the manager's office was that it was Joe the janitor that was haunting the manager's office. Um, and Joe the janitor carried this giant ring of keys. And that's what you were hearing when he was up at the manager's office. And where that story came from, I have to assume, is that for a while we were using the manager's office um, for storage, uh, for kind of a break room for our frontline employees. Uh, I think there was some some custodial work going in and out of there for a while. Um, so it made sense if you didn't think about it too hard. That <laughs> His story checked out right, if you, you looked know, briefly okay. into the history. Yeah, sure. There was a janitor. And and. To that end, we also had had a janitor named Joe pretty recently. Um, and sure, you could, you know, I'm sure Joe, Joe carried a bunch of keys and you could make that uh, that story kind of make sense. The only problem was Joe the janitor at the time uh, that Tara was telling these stories was still alive. So there's a real good chance that Joe was not the one haunting the building. Maybe not, you know. I, I, I don't understand how all of this haunted stuff works, but I'm pretty sure you have to be dead to haunt someplace. First rule of ghosting, you have as to be dead. As far as I know. <laughs> so it always bugged me uh, that I was telling this story and I knew I was telling it wrong. Um, my background before I came here to Tampa Theater, um, I started my career as a newspaper reporter, and that's what my, my training is in, is in reporting. So it's important to me to research things, get the facts right, tell the story accurately as much as I can. Um, and, and that's not always easy when you're talking about ghost stories that have been handed down for decades through a theater. You know, some of the facts you just can't check, but I'm certainly trying to check as many of them as I possibly can um, as I tell these stories and as the stories grow and change over the years. Um, so I knew that this story wasn't right, and I wanted so badly to know more about uh, what we were dealing with because... I, I believed that people were hearing the keys. Um, since then, I've heard the keys. I mean, there there are keys <laughs> being jingled. Somebody got keys in the Somebody's second floor. Somebody's got keys. And, you know, some of the people that I know who have heard the keys, you know, one of our, our team members, I mean, she doesn't believe in any of this stuff. She likes the money we make for the ghost tours, but she does not believe in any of this stuff. And yet she will tell you, oh, yeah, I've heard the keys. And it's like, well, then how can you say you don't believe it? And she's like, well, I think it's a bunch of bunk, but I've heard the keys. So, oh, it just drove me nuts every time I would tell the story about Joe the janitor and his keys. So several years went by. Um, and on a tour in 2018, uh, I had a group of people in the building and I had told them about a phone app. 
uh, that I like to give to my groups to download before we start the tour. Um, and it's called Ghost Radar Classic. And uh, if the creators of that want to go ahead and send me a royalty check, that'd be great because I tell everybody about this app. <laughs> she will do ads for you if you pay her well. Of course, it's a free app, so I don't really know how much, <laughs> how much uh, value there is in advertising for them for it. But um, it's called Ghost Radar Classic. It's available on the App Store. And it, it mimics two different pieces of uh, paranormal investigative equipment. One, uh, and I'm sure all your listeners are Googling it now so they can see what it looks like. Um, One is an EMF detector. Um, And EMF stands for electromagnetic frequency or electromagnetic field. Uh, It's an energy field. And it is completely not at all paranormal. So if you uh, are standing in a room that has electricity, (laughs) you are experiencing some level of EMF. Um, And so you'll see on the ghost shows, sometimes they have the little meters that they walk around the room and it's got like a needle or lights that'll light up. And if it starts lighting up yellow or red, they all get really excited. Um, And and yes, it can be very exciting. It can be a useful piece of equipment. But if you take an EMF detector and walk up to like an electric lamp or an outlet uh, in the wall or even a cell phone or, or, you know, any place that there's wires in the wall, you're going to get a reading. It's going to change what's on the meter. And so you have to be kind of cognizant as you're walking around of where those power sources are uh, and, and make sure that that's not what your detector is detecting. However, it's believed that in order to manifest, in order to do anything, uh, a ghost has to draw that energy from somewhere. Um, and they can draw that uh, in the form of electrical energy. They can pull some of that energy together in order to manifest as an apparition or a noise or a voice or a smell or whatever it's going to be. Um, or they can, uh, it's believed, uh, pull together heat energy. So if you've ever heard about, you know, being in a haunted place and you feel a cold spot or the room, the temperature drops, that could be a spirit trying to pull together heat energy. It's also believed they can use emotional energy. They can draw emotional energy from the the humans, the living people around them. So uh, again, if you watch the shows and all of a sudden somebody gets uh, very angry or very upset or starts crying uncontrollably, um, that's that emotional energy. On Ghost Adventures. <laughs> He's mad like all the every time. Every episode. He's so every mad. Ah. <laughs> uh, I will refrain from commenting. <laughs> but so, you know, carrying around these EMF detectors, um, especially on the, the Ghost Radar app, it looks like a radar screen. And, and you are the center of the radar. So as you walk around, you'll see these little blips uh, pop up on the radar. And according to the app, what that's telling you is that it is sensing a concentration of electromagnetic energy wherever that dot shows up on the radar. Um, And unless you're walking up to an outlet or, you know, a generator or something, uh, pay attention because that might be a ghost trying to to uh, manifest in front of you or wherever on the radar it is. The other piece of equipment uh, that it mimics is something called an ovalus device. 
Uh, and an ovilus is a, a piece of equipment that's used to allow spirits to actually communicate through words, uh, spoken words. Now, it's a little bit controversial even in the ghost hunting circles, uh, according to our friends over at Genesis Paranormal Services, who are kind of our, our ghost hunters of record here at Tampa Theater, um, just because of the way they work. Um, it's, a, it's a device that has a word bank built into it of you know thousands of words, and uh, the way it's supposed to work is that the spirits can manipulate the energy around it, uh, again, being EMF, being temperature, whatever. Um, those fluctuations in its surroundings correlate to a number. The number correlates to a word. The word gets said out loud. And, uh, you know, unlike some of the other spirit boxes and recordings where it's believed that the spirit is actually just speaking, just go ahead and, you know, saying words, um, the ovilus is a little bit different. And so the controversy comes in with, you know, how could the spirit possibly know what the word bank is, what number corresponds with what word, like how can it make it say a specific word? Um, and I just, I chuckle because, you know, you, where people draw the line of what they believe is very interesting to me <laughs> that, you know, they can, they can believe there's a ghost in the room. They can believe that the ghost is trying to talk to us, um, but they can't believe that the ghost knows how to make the box say the word that <laughs> they want it to They're say. They're like, this is too much. Right. So it's one step too far. Um, but be that as it may, wherever you fall on the, the belief spectrum, um, that's what this app says that it does is acts as a novelist device. Um, so if my friends from Genesis Paranormal were here, uh, they would make the comment that it's not real. That app is not real. It's, uh, it's a toy. It's a free phone app. <laughs> Your phone can't possibly do what it says it's doing. Um, and they're probably right. Uh, but it does give the folks on the tour something to hold in their hand uh, and look at while they're walking through the building. And it's easy to believe that it doesn't really do anything until it does. And that's what makes uh, that's this story my favorite of the ghost stories. Um, because on this tour in 2018, I had my group walking around with their ghost radars running. And after the tour, a couple came up to me. And I had noticed them during the tour that they were kind of like poking around in corners and they were really into the app and, and you know, really walking around and asking questions. And they said, okay, who's Paul? I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, we had our app running the whole tour and it kept coming up with the name Paul over and over again. So we finally asked Paul if he worked here and the word that came up at the top was manager. And so we asked Paul what he was the manager of, and the word that came up was everything. That <laughs> I run it all. I, I every get it. floor. I, and I kind of laughed because, you know, we're a small team here, and we all feel like we wear a lot of hats. So I'm like, yeah, I can feel you, Paul. I, <laughs> I understand. kind of feel like I'm managing everything some days, too. Um but they were curious to know, like, what that corresponded to. If we had had a manager named Paul and, you know, would that fit into any of the stories that we had been telling? And I, I told them, I said, you know, we've at that point, we had been around for 92 years. I said, I'm sure we've had a manager named Paul at some point in the building's history, but I couldn't tell you anything about him or who it was. I, I really don't know. And they said, OK, well, just keep that in mind, like keep that in the back of your mind and you know, we'd just be curious. I so 
wish that I had gotten their contact information (laughs) because I would have called them and said, holy moly, you just cracked the case as far as who this ghost is. I didn't know that, though, until the following spring. So fast forward six months or so. Um, I was working on a project where I needed some historic photos of Tampa Theater. And we have, we are fortunate to have lots. Um, This has been a well-photographed building over 95 years. And we have, you know, all kinds of uh, virtual images, digital files uh, of all of these different pictures. But we also have um, an album that we came into position of back in 2016, Um, Back in 2016, we got a phone call from an art gallery in Dallas that had gone to auction, and at the auction, they had bought a lot of items, and one of the items in the lot was this photo album that was stamped Tampa Theater. So they started flipping through it, and it was all these pictures of, like, um, movie openings, like grand openings, and um, advertising displays, and all kinds of stuff in Tampa Theater, And judging by the titles of some of the movies, they were able to figure out that it was from the 1930s. So they Googled Tampa Theater and found out we still existed and that it was the same theater that was in the pictures. And so they called us and said, hey, we have this album. Do you want it? Yeah, of course we want it. (laughs) Because some of these pictures we had never seen before. Um, and so we, we arranged to get it back. Um, they actually sold it to us, <laughs> which was fine because it is a piece of our history and we definitely wanted it back. So when we got it back Wait, in- Wait, tw- you had to buy it? Yeah. <laughs> I just they realized charged what you us said for to me. It. I was like, what? <laughs> I think they charged us $200 for it. Oh my God. <laughs> and then they wanted to charge us to ship it too, but it just so happened our CEO's son lives in Dallas. And so he was able to go pick it up and then oh. bring it to us the next time he came to town. Good Lord. They were really trying to get yeah, y'all to you know, pay some cash. Trying to recoup some of their investment because I have no idea what else was in the lot that they bought and why it was of interest to them. But, but we were happy to have our album back. <laughs> Um, so when we got it, you know, we flipped through it and oohed and odd over all the pictures and they were really cool. And then we put it back in this box and it basically had been sitting on my shelf for three years at that point. So now we're up to spring of 2019. I had heard about, uh, Paul on the, the Ovilus, uh, the October before, wasn't thinking anything of it that day as I was pulling the album back out to scan some photos. And for the first time, um, and and I wish the folks at home could see this because I've got the album on my desk in front of me. Um, but for the first time, we realized that the the album had actually been made out to somebody down in the corner there. It says Paul Short, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> And I think under it, it says manager, director, managing director, <laughs> Paul Short. Heck yeah. So it was kind of one of those, like, I wish I had the little law and order tone that could follow me around. Cause like when I saw the name and it all clicked together, it was like that <laughs> moment of, oh my gosh, <laughs> we do have a manager named Paul. We know who he is. Um, we know basically the time period he was here. And then I could start looking for him because I had some clues now. I knew where to start. And so um, very quickly, we were able to find pictures of Paul. We were able to find records of when Paul worked here and, you know, the things that he did while he was here. We were able to find newspaper articles about when Paul Short was 
promoted um, from one of the other theaters here in Tampa. He was promoted to the managing director spot at Tampa Theater. And then just 11 months later, he was promoted uh, to a theater in Dallas. And so he only worked here for 11 months, but in that article when he was leaving, he said, you know, there, there's only one theater that I would ever leave Tampa Theater for, and, and this is it. You know, so he was really going on to his dream job um, after a very short amount of time here, but he spoke, you know, very highly of Tampa Theater. He loved it here. Um, and the, the part of a lot of ghost stories, I think, that surprises people is that Paul didn't die here. Um, most of our ghosts didn't die here. He moved to Dallas. He had a long career in Dallas. He joined the military. He got married um, and died many, many, many years later, far away from Tampa and from Tampa Theater. But apparently this always held kind of a special place in his heart because, you know, as these pieces started coming together, we thought, well, okay, maybe that is who's at that office. I mean, the, the name checks out, the time period checks out, that would have been his office. We just couldn't figure out really why he would have come back. So again, I felt a lot better about the story, but I still wasn't 100% sure, like, did we really solve this? Good like, are we telling the right reporter brain story? would not let you. <laughs> no, I just, <laughs> I needed you got the final. <laughs> a little more proof. I just yeah. needed, you know, that one little thing. And, and, you know, thank you, Paul, he provided it. <laughs> so that next year, um, this would have been uh, fall of 2019. We were doing our ghost tours during the Halloween season like we always do. Um, and our friends from Genesis Paranormal had come in to do a late night lights off paranormal event. Um, which is something that uh, obviously we couldn't do it last year in 2020, but we had done it several years previous to that where um, folks can come on the ghost tour. They can buy a ticket and come on the ghost tour and hear all the stories for an hour and a half and then leave and go to dinner and do whatever. Or um, on two occasions, two nights during the run, they can actually buy a ticket for an add-on experience where you get to stay in the theater for another hour and a half. Um, and it's a very small group. We only do 25 people. And the folks from Genesis Paranormal come in with all of their equipment, um, with all of their investigators. They set up all over the building. We actually do a presentation of some of the evidence that they've collected over the years, some of the photos, some of the audio files, the video files, and then the folks uh, have an opportunity to investigate the building on their own. So they can go into all these different spaces that we've just told them about. They can use the equipment that the investigators use. They can work alongside the investigators to kind of learn how they do what they do, um, and hopefully as was the case this particular evening, collect some new evidence here in the building uh, about our stories. So that night we had the late night lights off group um, and we were coming through the building and um, GPS had brought an Ovilus device with them and knowing the backstory now of what we had going on with Paul, they set the Ovilus device on a table right there next to the manager's office. So we get up to the landing there and I started to tell the story and I was telling it um, a little more concisely, but basically <laughs> just how I've told you uh, today that, you know, Joe, the janitor and his keys and knew it wasn't him. And as I'm telling the story, um, the speaker on the Ovilus device um, makes noise and, and the word that it said was Paul. 
So I kind of chuckled <laughs> at this point. I'm like, okay, Paul, you know, don't ruin the punchline. Let me get to the end of the story. <laughs> now, meanwhile, the guests standing there didn't know where this is going. So they're all just kind of like, oh, wow, the box talked. Isn't that cool? You know, it's, it's making noise. That's so awesome. Well, as the story went on uh, and as the ovelist continued to say the name Paul a couple more times, they started to figure out what was going on. And when I got to the part of the story where we knew who Paul was and, and that this was his office, like you could just see, it's like without even moving, they all just took a step backwards. Like the, the entire crowd just shifted back about six feet away from where I was standing. Um, because it was that final, like, you know, don't doubt me. Yes, it's me. I'm standing here. I'm right here telling you who I am. Um, and, and this is my story. I'm the one with the keys. And so, you know, the, we've continued to hear the keys. People have continued to hear the keys. Um, and, and now we give Paul full credit for it and, and talk about him like he's there whenever we're up in that part of the building. That's so, and like I tell people all the time, even if you don't believe in ghosts, you're still getting to learn about people. Yes. So that's the cool part. Like if you're, if you're not into paranormal stuff, you still get history. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is. I mean, these are the people that, that have kept this building running for 30 or for, for 95 years. You know, his tenure here was very short at 11 months. Um, Fink Finley, who I mentioned earlier, worked here in life for 35 years. So you know, they are a big, big part of, of this building's history. And, you know, many of us around here joke that someday when we're gone, uh, we fully intend to come back and haunt the theater and <laughs> hope that whoever the marketing director is at that point uh, does their homework and tells our stories accurately. You can check. Yeah. Well, you know I'm going to check. <laughs> you're you're going to stay behind them every ghost tour. It's like, uh, you're getting that wrong. <laughs> the facts are not correct. <laughs> well, and that's kind of the, the joke that I tell with Paul is like, you know, he's he's still here. He's still trying to manage everything, including my tours, to make sure that I tell him right. He's like, I'm not a janitor. Get it right. <laughs> Hardly. <laughs> but you mentioned, um, you know, uh, even if you don't believe, it's still an interesting story. And um, that is so true. And that is actually one of the stories that we tell on the tour about Fink, about our projectionist. Um, is how he has chosen over the years to make people believe that he's there, um, especially when they're a little hesitant. And we say that on the tours of like, look, they, they don't care if you believe in them or not. Like they're <laughs> here and they're they're going to show themselves when they want to. And in this particular case, um, it was a young woman who was on a tour that wasn't even a ghost tour. It was one of our balcony to backstage tours that we give all year long to talk about the history of the building and the architecture. And um, our architect, John Eberson, was was notable in the field of movie palace architecture. So, you know, he's a big deal and it's a big deal that there's a John Eberson theater in Tampa. So we talk about that a lot on those regular tours. So that morning, uh, you know, we were getting the tour group together and this this woman walks up to me and I had my name tag on and it was kind of obvious that I was the one that was kind of, you know, going to be leading this tour in a couple of minutes. And she walks up and, you know, plants her hands on her hips, you know, total power stance and goes, okay, so is this place really haunted? (laughs) And I laughed (laughs) as I usually do in situations like that. And I said, "Um, well, uh, a lot of people believe that it is. 
And she said, okay, well, I just want you to know that I don't believe in any of that stuff. I said, that's fine. You know, this is pop off, I guess. Yeah. I said, you know, this is an architecture tour. So (laughs) you're in luck. I said, but, you know, when we get upstairs to the balcony, I am going to take a couple of minutes to tell one ghost story because um, Fink, our projectionist, he was here for 35 years. He's probably our most popular ghost. And so we always tell a Fink story when we get upstairs, but it's just a couple of minutes. You know, I promise you that'll be a great opportunity to just kind of check out and, you know, appreciate the room. Um, And then we'll be right back to art and architecture quickly. She was like, okay. So we go along on the tour and and it is like three quarters of the way into the tour. So we had been together for more than an hour at this point and we're up in the balcony and everybody took their seats and she chose to sit um, kind of at the end of a row down front. And so I just, you know, I'm talking about the programming that we do here and, um, you know, all the other things that I usually talk about in the balcony, pointing out some of the details of the architecture. And then I said, okay, you know, who wants to hear a ghost story? And most of the hands went up. Hers didn't, but Majority most of the hands of went up. like ghost stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you're sitting in a beautiful dark theater. Of course you want to hear a ghost story. Um, so I started telling the story of Fink Finley. And, you know, there's, there's so much to talk about when it comes to Fink. But what it boils down to is that Fink was our projectionist from 1930 to 1965. Um, he did not die in this building. Uh, he, he actually was battling cancer the, se- the final years of his life and collapsed in this building and was taken home. Um, and he died a couple of weeks later at home. But ever since then, every single projectionist we've had, other staff members, folks who spend any time up in the booth there, um, even audience members who sit in the balcony have all made claims that would lead one to believe that Fink is still here and that he's still coming to work six days a week and <laughs> still trying to help out uh, as he's best he can. He's trying to get can. that paycheck, even right? in the afterlife. Exactly. You know, well, I mean, I've got a picture of him too here. Let's see, where's my... So this is Fink. Um, he was a a Aww. very particular little man, um, <laughs> and he was little. Uh, we know that that he was relatively short, relatively slight. Is he on a boat in that picture? That, right? That's what it looks like is that he's sitting in a sailboat, but yeah. he's also wearing a three-piece suit. Yeah, so, stuff's not matching up. No. The energy. Um, I really think, and I, I don't know this for sure, that the, there is a bigger version of this photo that you can see a little bit more of the boat, but it is most definitely a boat. Um, I'm kind of wondering if this was a promotional display in our lobby because mm-hmm. you know again if you look through like the Paul Short album we did some really spectacular displays down in the lobby for various types of advertisements um, and I'm wondering if one of them just included a sailboat and this was some <laughs> kind of picture that he took while he was at work um, or he went sailing in a three-piece suit I don't know but we Let me do your thing we, <laughs> we do know that he wore the three-piece suit to work that that he kept it here at the office or up in the projection booth, and that, you know, every morning after he would walk or take the streetcar to work, um, he would actually uh, get showered, or not showered, but uh, shave and kind of cleaned up in the little bathroom up in the booth, and then um, put on his three-piece suit and get ready for the day. So over the years, a lot of the claims about Fink um, from the projectionists have been weird things happening in the booth. Um, Things falling off tables, lights going on and off, um, doors feeling like, you know, as you're pulling the door closed, it feels like the door's pulling back, like somebody else is trying to open it. 
Um, but for our patrons who sit up in the balcony, most of the reports of activity up there have had to do with smells. Um, and the three that we get the most often uh, that people report smelling are coffee and cigarettes. Those are number one and two. And we do know from folks who worked with Fink over the years um, that that was his daily habit. Is as he came into the building, he would get a cup of coffee downstairs and then drink his coffee and smoke a cigarette while he walked up to the booth. So both of those things made sense that, you know, uh, that that would be residual traces of Fink headed up the stairs. Um, but they're also the easiest to explain away that, you know, we still brew coffee in the building. Um, you know, even though we don't allow smoking in the building anymore, it's not uncommon that maybe somebody next to you would have had a cigarette while they were, you know, standing outside. So we can explain away those two, those two smells. But the one we couldn't for the longest time was lilac. People kept reporting that they smelled lilac up in the balcony. And uh, it, it finally, it took us a while to put two and two together that the popular aftershave of Fink's time was lilac vegetel, which is a powdered lilac scent. And so we thought, okay, well, maybe this is, you know, Fink having his morning shave up there every morning and we're smelling that aftershave. So that was part of the story, the ghost story that I was telling to this tour group this one day. And as I'm telling the story, I'm kind of watching the reaction of uh, Miss Nonbeliever, who was <laughs> <laughs> sitting on the aisle over here, um, you know, and so she's listening, but, you know, also looking around. It's like, okay. Well, as I started talking about the smells, I noticed that she was talking to her friend that was sitting next to her. I'm like, okay. Well, as the story went on, now she's talking to the people behind her. She's all craned around in her seat and she's interacting with the folks behind her who were not part of her group. And I'm telling the story, but the whole time I'm thinking like, you know, how rude. <laughs> yeah, I get that you don't believe what I'm saying, but like, I've got 70 people here who I'm trying to tell a story to. So if you just keep it down a little bit, you know, I promise we're going to get back to more architecture here real soon. Well, when I said uh the the final piece about the smells and and got to the the powdered lilac scent uh there was a an obvious reaction out of her um you know visible on her face and in her body language that she was reacting to that so I finished the story and I kind of walked over to where she was sitting and you know loud enough for everybody to hear I said okay um there was obviously a reaction here what happened and she kind of, I mean, she was willing to talk, but she was kind of like uncomfortable. And she's like, well, okay. So you were telling that story and she said, you were talking about like coffee and cigarettes and I started smelling flowers. She said, and I'm really sensitive to smells. Like I'm really allergic to a lot of things. And so I thought somebody around me was like spraying perfume or using hand lotion or something. Um... And so I was trying to figure out who around me had it because I was going to ask them to stop so it didn't, you know, bother my allergies. She said, and as I was asking around, nobody else could smell it. And I just <laughs> smiled. <laughs> I said, well, that's really weird because you don't believe in ghosts. <laughs> and like she, she could just see on her face like she was so mad and she wanted to say something so snotty and just didn't because 
It's true. I mean, she she was the one who was so adamant, so out of place in being adamant about not believing in ghosts. Um, and she's the only one on the tour that had the experience. Fink said, you going to believe in me right? before you leave. I will come sit on your lap and <laughs> make you believe while you're sitting here. Um, and, you know, there have been so many instances like that over the year. My, my own husband um, came on one of my ghost tours. And after the tour, we're driving home. And he said, OK, so how did you do the lilac thing? I said, what do you mean? He said, that smell. He said, like, the whole group of us that were sitting up there smelled it. And he said, so is that like like a plug-in that you guys do? Or do you like hide something <laughs> under the seats? Right, exactly. <laughs> do you like somehow spray the air before we get up there? I said, no, babe, we don't plant anything. Like if you smelled something, it's because there was something there to smell. It's nothing that we hid. And again, like, you know, you kind of see the arms cross. Like, okay, I'm going to have to think about this for a little while because I'm not sure you how I feel You have to contemplate reality real quick. Right, exactly. Um but, you know, uh, all of that aside, uh, you know, everybody that's ever had an experience here, um, it's never been terrifying. It's never been brutal. It's never been dangerous. You know, we we are very fortunate, you know, knock on something, to not have any entities here that we know of that are evil or malicious or want to hurt anybody. Um, we really do believe that of the six entities that we talk about on the tours, and, and we have a feeling there's a lot more than that, but the six that we really know about and know something about their stories um, are, are here because they want to be here, or at least five of them are here because they want to be here. The sixth one, um, we think maybe she's not sure how to leave, but... That's the one I was going to ask you about, <laughs> because she's the... Because for our listeners, I met Jill like a month-ish, a month and some change ago. And she was very kind in giving this random girl <laughs> a little tour uh, for my blog. And the ghost, it was, it was the white lady? Yeah, the woman in white. Yeah, she, when you brought that up, that was the one that, like, interested me the most. Because I feel like there was not a whole lot about her. Mm -hmm. So she's just kind of chilling here. <laughs> That's the one that really... Uh, now that I've got Paul figured out, the woman in white is the one that bothers me the most because I feel like the information is there. I just need to find it and I need to find the rest of it and, and put the rest of the pieces together um, to really have a, a clear picture of who this person was um, and and potentially why they're still here. Uh, the, the story as it was handed to me, uh, was that multiple people over the years have had experiences up in our mezzanine walkway. And most of those experiences uh, have to do with seeing the apparition of a woman in a long white dress. And, you know, on the one hand, it, it feels almost kind of cliche because I feel like every historic theater I've ever been to has a woman in a long white dress who walks around and haunts the building. So, you know. It's on it, brand. Yeah, exactly. But also kind of trite. That like, you know, well, of course we have a woman in a long white dress. That's that's what ghosts look like. Um, but the, the backstory to it, um, again, as it was told to me uh, nine years ago, is that we believe it's the spirit of a woman who was struck by a carriage and killed um, out on Franklin Street before Tampa Theater was here. 
And so that that seems like a thing there should be a record of. You know, if somebody was killed out in the street, if there was a fatal accident um, at some point in the late 1800s, early 1900s, it feels like we should be able to find that piece of information. Um, and for a long time, I was not having any luck doing that. Now, with the help of uh, a researcher um, who's kind of part of our network through the League of Historic American Theaters, um, she has been doing some digging for me. And I am just, you know, every day I am checking that email in hopes that we're going to find that piece uh, that that proves to us who this woman was and what her name was. Um, but... Instead, what I've gotten over the past uh, nine years is a couple of uh, uh, corroborations, uh, most notably through a psychic who was here um, and who came through the building. Now, when when a psychic uh, who is part of a paranormal investigative group comes into a building, typically they don't want to know anything about the building they're walking into. You know, they don't want to do a lot of research. They don't want to come on the ghost tour. They don't want to listen to a podcast like this. Um, <laughs> don't, be, if you're psychic, click yeah, off. Yeah, turn click it off. off. Oh, man, we should have given that warning off a long time ago. ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, they just, they want to come in and walk around and, you know, cold and let us know what they're picking up. And then if that matches things that we already know, then that, uh, can be considered some kind of evidence that the stories are lining up. So in this case, um, the psychic that came through, her name was Red, or is Red, and she's part of a team called Fire and Ice uh, in North Florida. So she had never been to Tampa Theater. She said she didn't know much about it. Um, but as she came through the building, she came up to, again, that overlook where the, the manager's office was, didn't ping on anything over by the manager's office, but as she came through the overlook um, into the mezzanine hallway, uh, she had a very severe, strong reaction to something that she was feeling there. And um, different psychics experience things in different ways. You know, some some of them, uh, is my understanding, they kind of see pictures in their head. They see the scene playing out, um, almost like a movie. Um, in other cases, and, and this is how red functions, is it's more of a feeling. Uh, they feel the emotions of the people that they're interacting with. And so in this case, uh, as red kind of walked around that little corner, she grabbed her stomach and hunched over, doubled over, um, like she was in pain, like she was going to be sick. And so we started asking her, you know, what's, what's going on, red? What do you feel? And she said, well, I'm, I'm feeling a woman. There's a woman here um, who is badly injured. She said, you know, she's, it's like her mind is clear, but her body is absolutely wrecked. She said, and she knows who she is, but she doesn't know where she is. She doesn't know what this place is. Um, and so, you know, I'm standing there listening very attentively <laughs> to see where this is going. <laughs> Um, and she finally said, uh, to kind of sum it up, she said, it's almost like she got hit by a truck. And so, you know, perhaps jumping in a little sooner than I should have, <laughs> I said, how about a carriage? And she's <laughs> like, yeah, you know, could be a carriage. Um, so, you know, uh, it, until I get that newspaper article about this woman and who she was, um, you know, that's the biggest indicator. Red's uh, feelings when she got up there was the, the biggest indicator that the 
woman in the story uh, of being killed out on Franklin Street and the entity that seems to be in that mezzanine hallway are one and the same. Uh, bunches of people have had interactions with her over the years. Um, you know, we had one of our former concessionaires had an experience upstairs. Um, we've had a volunteer here some years ago who claimed to see her several times while she was working the theater. Um, but the one that I saw with my own eyes, and so those are the, those are the stories that I like that I actually experience <laughs> and can speak to them, um, per, from personal experience was on a tour, um, uh, it's been, let's see, that had to have been in 2019, um, that, uh, we had a ghost tour going on and we had a mother and daughter who were on uh, a big public tour. So we had probably 75 people that were touring around the building. And so this mother and daughter were standing, uh, kind of looking down the mezzanine hallway as I was telling the Paul Short story. And once the Paul story was over, I kind of walk across the overlook and reposition to be able to look down the hallway and, and tell the woman in white story. And as I started the story, you know, everybody was kind of getting positioned and, and you know, turning back around so they could listen. I said, you know, the next story bugs me a little bit because I want to know more about the person I'm going to tell you about. Um, but this is the story of the woman in white. And as soon as I said that phrase, this little girl who was standing there with her mother started crying. And that's, um, that's not an, a common occurrence on my tours. Usually I don't make my guests cry. Um, and so I stopped and, you know, I, I said to her mom, you know, is she okay? Is everything all right? Because I honestly thought that I was just scaring her like that, that you know because I remember being that age and being terrified of ghost stories I was scared of everything same, at that age same. and now this is all I'm into I don't get it amen that's yeah that's kind of where I'm at too but uh <laughs> you know I I thought maybe this is you know if she scares easily this probably isn't the right tour for her um and the mom said no um when you were telling the last story we were looking down this hall and she said my daughter pointed down the hall and said hey mom look and she said when I turned around I didn't see anything but my daughter said that she had seen a woman in a long dress standing on the stairs at the other end of the hallway and she thought it was like an actor getting ready for a show or something um and when I turned around she was gone but as I started to say what we were going to talk about with this ghost story, the girl realized that she had seen the woman in white standing at the other end of the room because there was nobody else in the building that would have been dressed like that. And and I tell the tours straight up, you know, at the beginning of the tour, this is a ghost tour. It's not a haunted house. Like, we, we don't have actors that are waiting to jump out at you. We don't have, um, we don't plant lilac <laughs> smells upstairs. You know, we don't have sound machines or fog or anything. I mean, it's just me telling stories and and showing off as many artifacts as I can uh, and photos and whatnot that back up the stories. So the little girl, she was 12 years old. It was the first time that her and her mom had ever been in the theater. Um, and and that's not uncommon for kids to to actually have experiences a little more easily than adults because they haven't they don't have a lifetime of people telling them that they're not supposed to see things like that yet. They're not cynical yet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but I'll give her credit. She stayed for the rest of the tour and seemed totally into it. So I'm, I'm, um, 
I'm grateful to have seen that, uh, and and it was just interesting to kind of see somebody in the moment having an experience like that, and and the reaction that it elicited when she figured out what had happened. That's yeah. That's I would have peed my pants. <laughs> <laughs> like even as an adult, if I looked, I'd be like, I'm out. I gotta go. But but it it. Um, lends credence to something we've always known which again uh, like i mentioned is the things that happen here aren't scary like in the moment that it's happening it kind of comes off as normal and it, it isn't until you realize what just happened that you're like wait a minute <laughs> that's <laughs> that's not actually possible and i just experienced something that that was paranormal which all that means is outside the normal um mm-hmm. And, and there's a lot that happens here that's outside the normal. Have you, because you said you heard the keys, but have you seen anything? Like apparitions or anything? Never anything to the degree that she did. You know, I have not seen a full body apparition. I've not seen the woman in white. Um, I, the things that I've seen are, hmm, I'll tell another story. <laughs> Pop off. <laughs> um, uh, of of our friend uh, down in dressing room number two. I mentioned earlier about vaudeville uh, and that we were part of the vaudeville circuit. And we have an entity down in dressing room number two that we believe uh, is a former vaudevillian that for some reason has chosen to stay um, in those dressing rooms in the basement that were built when the theater was constructed for those vaudeville performers. Um and again, I won't give, uh, you know, all of his stories because you I want people come to come on the tour. On the tour. <laughs> exactly. If you want to hear about whoever this is. <laughs> right. Well, and that's the thing is we don't know who he is. Oh. Um, but <laughs> we know he's there and we know some of the things that he's done to show himself to people. Um, but for me, I was uh, actually not the one leading the tour. Uh, my, my CEO was leading a tour for some new board members. They had, we're a nonprofit organization, and we have a board of directors, and these folks had just joined the board, so this was part of their orientation, um, was that John was giving them this backstage tour of all the different parts of the theater. And my oh, it wasn't a ghost tour? Not a ghost tour. Oh, I no, thought... No, no, <laughs> I was just like, a regular... That's so cool, their orientation features a ghost tour. <laughs> <laughs> no, they get those stories soon enough. But, <laughs> but in this case, it was really more of just a, like, here's the whole building. Like, okay. here's where all these staircases go to that you all have seen. Um, and so as we're walking through the basement, uh, well, throughout the tour, my job was kind of to go on a little bit ahead and make sure that lights were on, make sure that doors were open, you know, just make sure everything was was perfect as they were coming through the building. So when they were ready to head downstairs, I had scooted on ahead um, and was making sure doors were open and lights were on. And I got to dressing room number two, which is the bigger of the dressing rooms and usually the cleaner of the dressing rooms. Like dressing room one kind of gets used as storage a lot, but dressing room number two has a bathroom. And so that's a convenient place for our organists who uh, play the Wurlitzer pre-shows to kind of use that space to keep their stuff and go to the bathroom. And, you know, they have a little mini fridge in there and whatnot. Well, as I came down through the basement, the door to dressing room number two was closed. So I was going to open the door and turn on the light so they could see it. And as I went to open the door, um, I pushed the door open. And in opening, the door pushed out of the way um, a chair that sits in that dressing room with this big box fan on it because there's not a lot of ventilation down there. So they, you know, the organists usually run this fan. And again, 
in and of itself, that's not scary. To open a door and have it hit and push out of the way a chair and a fan is nothing. It's when you realize that the way the room is constructed, it's only there's one way in, one way out. It's just this one door and the door opens inward. So there's it would be impossible to close the door and then put the chair and the fan behind the door. Yeah, I'm not good at math, but that doesn't right. yeah. like not even yeah, to me. Yeah, the physics does not work. <laughs> so, you know, that's the kind of thing that I've seen that, you know, it no, it's not a ghost walking down the hallway to to come scare you, but it's it's unexplained. Like something moved that chair and put it in our way and it it just so happens the entity that's down there we call him the trickster and that's <laughs> that's kind of his thing is just messing with people. And so it's like, well, of course, you know, if he was going to be like hey look new people <laughs> let's show off a little bit <laughs> let's block your way i remember a side note this is just a tangent because i remembered when i first uh jill first had me here she was showing me down there and it i remembered i was like karen and georgia from my favorite murder came to the theater mm-hmm. and so i was like i'm gonna just ask her because i have to know if she met them <laughs> and <laughs> i didn't and i'm i'm so Sorry that I didn't because I was not familiar with the show at the time. And so, you know, so many, we get so many amazing films and performers and and everything else that I don't always make it a point to see all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, But man, I wish I had because since then I have listened to the podcast and I would have loved to have met them and to have heard that show. So you could have shown them ghost stuff. Here's putting it out to the universe that if they want to come back. Please, my favorite (laughs) murder, please tour here. (laughs) I'll come back too. But I'll tell you who we do have, like, pretty much every year and they are coming back uh, in a couple of months is welcome to night vale i love that podcast so oh my god back when see now you're testing me and <laughs> i'm gonna okay. have to turn on my computer while we're talking it's okay it but so they do a podcast episodes here yeah they do a, a live touring show um where they tell some of the stories live on stage oh my god i gotta go i gotta go i did not know that was happening um but that's a good segue into to talk about like what's going to happen in the next couple months here. What y'all got going on? Oh, what don't we? You know, we were, thanks to the pandemic, we were closed for a year um, from March of 2020 to March of 2021, which meant that um, last year around this time, I did not get to do my great big scary A Nightmare on Franklin Street series. Which, you know, the theater has has always had some kind of Halloween uh, event or activities. We've done haunted houses over the years, the ghost tours, of course, um, different kinds of programming. Um, and when I got here in, in 2012, uh, I, I came here in October. I started in October. And by the following year, had talked uh, the management into letting me kind of reimagine the Halloween series a little bit and turning it into a multi-day actually multi-week just Halloween top to bottom for a week and a half or so and so that got named um, A Nightmare on Franklin Street which of course we're located on Franklin Street here in downtown Tampa and uh, unlike our other classic series like our summer classics our holiday classics are usually just one film a week on Sunday afternoons well, with Nightmare, um, I get the second half of the month, uh, usually 
somewhere between 13 and 20 days that I can just go nuts in terms of <laughs> Halloween. Terrify everyone oh, in the Tampa Bay area. <laughs> like every bit of Halloween, you know, you, you see on Facebook that some people like they can't wait to get that first pumpkin spice latte of the season or they can't wait to decorate their house or they can't wait to, you know, buy their Halloween costume or whatever. For me, it's this series. It's getting to take all of my love of, you know, scary and schlocky and gross and <laughs> suspenseful and, you know, because there's there's so many different facets of Halloween, mm -hmm. you know, that, that you can appreciate. And with this series, I feel like I get to kind of touch on all of them to some degree. Um, so last year we couldn't do it because of COVID. We couldn't do it in person. Um, and instead we did a virtual series. We did all kinds of streaming content throughout October. Um, and it was fun, but it just wasn't the same as being here in this beautiful old haunted theater, um, and, and really getting to, to experience that, um, so this year, uh, the series kicks off on October 16th. And it's uh, that first event is a partnership with Film Tampa Bay, um, our, our film commission here in the area. And they do an occasional series. Uh, actually, they will be doing. This is the first of the screenings um, called Film Tampa Bay Presents. And these are films that, that they are choosing um, and, and presenting as a free community screening because the films highlight either Tampa films, Tampa filmmakers, Tampa actors, uh, Tampa locations. You know, in some cases, the movie was shot here. Doesn't even pretend to be Tampa in the movie, but, you know, the, the actual physical locations were here. Um, and so for this first screening, we're showing The Conjuring uh, 3, the third movie in the franchise. That's the my devil favorite made me one. Do it. <laughs> have you seen all of them? No, no, I've only seen the first one. Uh, okay. I have not yet seen this one. The third one pops off. It's good. I'm saving it for the big screen. <laughs> um, and of course, as you know, um, Patrick Wilson, the star, is from Tampa. Um, he's not able to join us this that night in person anyway. Um, but his brother, Paul Wilson, is also in the film uh, and is here local. And there's a beautiful woman, Eugenie Bonrant, who is in the film, who is also from Tampa. Wow, I didn't um, realize how many people here. were. Yes. <laughs> so um, Paul and Eugenie are going to be here with us that evening. Um, they're going to do some, some photo ops and some autographs beforehand. Um, then we'll watch the film. Then they're going to stick around to do a Q&A afterwards. Um, but again, that's a free community event. So anybody who wants to, um, up until we run out of seats, is welcome to come down, see the movie, meet the stars. Um, and that is all sponsored by Film Tampa Bay. So they're picking up the tab uh, for that screening for everybody. Um, and what a great way to kick off the season. Like, it, it's is. like trick-or-treating. You know, you come, we give you something cool, uh, <laughs> and, and Halloween is off and running. Um, but from there, uh, the series runs uh, all the way through October 31st. We've got um, a, a double header of the Rocky Horror Picture Show on the 22nd, and we bring in a live floor cast that has been with us for years, and they do an incredible job. Um, we've got all of your favorite classic horror films, you know, The Shining and Psycho and... Um, Oh, what else is in the lineup this year? Uh, we've got Beetlejuice in there. We've got a couple of um, 
family films. So, you know, if you've, if you have kids and you take your kids to the movie theaters, you've heard about mommy and me screenings. Yeah. Well, this is Halloween. So we do mummy and me screenings. Oh, that's really cute. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cute. And they're on Monday afternoons after school gets out. Um, and they're, they're free for kids under 12. So the grownups pay, the kids are free, um, but we're doing Hocus Pocus as one of them yeah. and uh, A Nightmare Before Christmas, The Nightmare Before Christmas for one of them. Oh, okay. So we'll see you there. It's on the 25th. I'll bring my mom. Ah, perfect. Um, and then we do some live shows throughout the span. Um, we've got a group out of Orlando called Phantasmagoria that are just insane like I can't even put into words what these people do but it is it is gothic and it is beautifully choreographed amazingly costumed um, and and they're storytellers but that doesn't do it justice because we're talking about you know uh, performance and dance and um, special effects and puppetry and projections and they just bring these amazing stories to life Um, and and they're stories that people in some cases are familiar with you know these are Edgar Allan Poe stories or Robert Louis Stevenson stories and you know classic classic horror stories um, brought to life on stage and every year has a different theme Um, and this year's theme is Dark Carnival so it's just yeah. uh, you you just got to go on the website and and look at the costumes because they are works of art. Every single one of the performers is a work of art and and the show that they do is absolutely amazing. Um and if you love storytelling and obviously if you're listening to podcasts, you probably love storytelling. Um we do another evening of stories during the event that we call Campfire Stories. Now, you've seen the theater. You know it looks like you're sitting outside. It does. See, yeah, for anybody who hasn't been here, the ceiling is like, it looks like the night sky. It's really, it's great. So all we have to do is uh, build a an artificial campfire on the stage and do a neat little projection of the woods. And all of a sudden, you feel like you're outside telling ghost stories under the stars. Um And we work with a group called the Storytellers of Old Tampa Bay who come in and tell an evening of original ghost stories. And it really is just like sitting around the campfire with your friends and everybody gets up in turn and tells their stories. Um, And it's a it's a family friendly evening. You know, we call that one kind of a PG evening that, you know, if if parents want to come out and bring the kids, you know, they're spooky, but they're not gruesome they're not terrifying you know nobody's going to be able or nobody's going to go home having nightmares after it parents will be able to sleep exactly (laughs) and so will the kiddos so but then you know on the other end of the spectrum on halloween night we show halloween and you know don't bring the kiddies to that one (laughs) you know that if you got the kids you stay home with them and trick or treat if you're looking for a little bit more grown up of an activity you come out and see halloween um but I think the thing I'm probably most excited about this year uh, is an idea that has been bubbling around Tampa Theater for years, ever since I've been here. Um, and finally this year, we are we are doing it. So for years, we've done a big fundraiser. I mentioned that we're a nonprofit. Uh, we've done a big fundraiser called Wine Fest. Like that's our big fundraiser for the year, and we do Wine Fest every year. And then a few years after that, we started doing a summer event called Beer Fest. That's a little bit smaller than Wine Fest. It's just one night instead of two, but more casual. But yeah, it's, you know, we feature local craft beers and local craft breweries and food samples. And it's always got a movie theme. It's a lot of fun. 
Well, if you're going to do beer fest and wine fest, clearly there's only one place to go from there, and that's Spirits Fest. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So we need a craft cocktail event called Spirits Fest. And, you know, it's... It's not like we don't have enough going on around here. So, you know, every time it would come up over the years, it's like, yeah, that would be really cool to do it. But we really just, there's no time. And we do all this other stuff in October. And well, last year during the pandemic, um, we had done a virtual wine fest and it went really well. I'm sorry, a virtual beer fest over the summer and it had gone really well. So we decided, okay, maybe this year is the year that we do a virtual spirits fest and we see how that goes. So we did, and it was awesome, and it sold out, um, and and everybody had a really good time with it. So coming into this year, we kind of, you know, took a deep breath and bit the bullet and said, okay, we're going to do Spirits Fest. Uh, And so this year on October 30th, Saturday night, we are doing our first ever live in-person Spirits Fest. Um, And once more, it's all about stories. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about the tastes and tales of Spirits Fest. And this year, uh, the theme for Spirits Fest is going to be backstage. So as people come in, you're not coming through our front door like everybody else does. You're actually going to come in through our green room in the back. Um, and as you move through the building, um, we're going to take people in some parts of Tampa Theater that none of our tours go. Um, parts of the building that until we were mapping the route for this event that I had never seen before, and I've worked here for 10 years. Um, so it really is kind of winding through the building uh, as though you were a performer here, not like you were a guest here, um, and seeing some parts of the building that don't get shown off very often. But at every stop throughout the building, um, you will hear a story. Again, our friends from Phantasmagoria, they're going to do their stage show the night before, then they're going to come back and tell stories for us for fun. Um, for Spirits Fest, and you'll get a cocktail that is uh, paired with that story at every stop. Mm, That's cute. So, yep, you'll move through the building, you'll hear all the ghost stories, um, and then you actually end in the lobby where we're going to do a little bit of an after party if everybody wants to hang out and keep eating and drinking and listening to music and and you know celebrating because as we say the more spirits you drink the more spirits you see so very true <laughs> we hope people hang around it 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 pushes down that wall that that kids don't have mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly <laughs> the inhibitions start to fade after a while so you can see fink and the lady in white <laughs> and we will make sure they were all on their best behavior that evening <laughs> i mean trickster you can't really expect much Uncontrollable. from him but somebody else you could try and manage and, and the basement is going to be one of the stops on that experience so Sick. um you know he's he's messed with people before and you know i've kind of got my fingers crossed that maybe he will again <laughs> i mean he's he's had like a year break from people so he might be like this is All great of them have you know i mean there were no people in this building for a year i have to imagine they were bored out of their skulls and just right. waiting for all of us to come back maybe the lady in white that was a good time for her to figure out what where she, what her deal is exactly where she, at. Where she belongs <laughs> uh so yeah that's a great lineup Y'all got some great stuff going on. I'm going to be here a lot. Y'all Good. are going to be sick of my face. Excellent. No, we love that. We love that. Uh, yeah, so I think, is there anything else you would like to advertise or add? All those tickets are available on our website. If you just go to tampatheater.org slash nightmare, it's got the whole lineup. Sick. And uh, what are y'all socials? 
Oh, uh, we are Tampa Theater with an R-E on everything. So um, on on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. Um, if you don't get our e-newsletters, you should because they're the first people to hear about uh, all the stuff that's going on. Um, those ghost tours sell out fast. Um, I'm guessing that by the time this airs, um, the day we're recording it, they're actually going on sale today. By the time <laughs> it airs, I guarantee some of them are going to be sold out. So if you want to do those ghost tours in October, October, get on there now and buy your tickets please uh, yeah because we're recording this Monday this is gonna go out Friday so yeah that that's a lot of time <laughs> that's a lot of time <laughs> and because we're still kind of in that that weird pandemic place um the ghosts are the tours that we used to cap at 75 we're capping at 40 this year yeah. so limited capacity yeah you gotta, you gotta keep everybody safe but Absolutely. still, we can have fun and get spooked. I don't need any more ghosts. Like, no, please. <laughs> no. We everybody got... needs to stay safe and healthy because I don't need any more ghosts. The tour's long enough as it is. We got six We don't or seven. We don't need no more. <laughs> could I have to block out the whole afternoon at that please. point? Please. Um, yeah, this was super fun. Thank you for being on. I appreciate oh, it. Oh, my pleasure. This I know was you're a busy. blast. So. This was like practice for me because <laughs> <laughs> we actually have more ghost tours in the lineup this year than we ever had before. We have 18 tours in 16 days. Wow. So. wow. That's, that's a lot. Y'all doing Broadway tour level. Seriously. And then November 1st comes and I sleep. Yeah, forever until Halloween the next year. Exactly. <laughs> I go back into my mothballs and I come out in September of next year. Uh, yeah. So this is super fun. Uh, if you want to follow the podcast, we are Crime Traveling Podcast on everything. Still debating getting a Twitter because I still don't know how to use it. <laughs> See, she doesn't know how to use it either, so we're good. Fortunately, I have a teammate who's really good at it. Sick. See, you gotta get, I gotta get somebody to do it for me. <laughs> um, and you can follow me on uh, Instagram at it's Victoria Tribble. I post memes. I post random stuff. It's not important, but if you would like to, you're more than welcome. Uh, thank you again to Jill. Oh, thank you for having me. This appreciate was cool. it. And uh, yeah, I will see you guys next crime. Goodbye.